0: Morning, church. Morning. We're reading in Matthew 14, verses 22 through 31. Or, sorry, Mark 14. <laughs> and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Let us pray. Father God, I want to just give you so much praise and thanks for today, Lord, for your word, for your son, Jesus Christ, who died so that we might live. Lord, I ask that you anoint this time. I ask that you anoint Jackie and that uh, you give us the words, uh, open our ears and open our uh, hearts so that uh, the word that you have for us today, Lord, that uh, it would be a blessing to us that we could then bless other people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: You ever wonder when we sit down and consider the religions of the world, I think it's kind of funny that uh, we look at Confucius, we look at Muhammad, Buddha, Moses... All of these guys died in their old age. Having, for the most part in their lives, conquered or done whatever it was that they were going to to accomplish. And then we look at Jesus. Who in the prime of life, in his 30s, right really before any of the others have even got going. He is brought to the cross and crucified. He is... He dies alone, naked, <laughs> scourged, put in the ground. He rises again. Do you ever wonder? Why do people pick him? Well, why do you choose Jesus? Why do you choose him? There's, there's others that would be easier. Jesus said, come and follow me. You're, you remember where he was going when he said that, right? He's headed to the cross. I think sometimes we think that means he doesn't. He's not calling us to that. Sorry. We have our date with Gethsemane too. Gethsemane. And our date with Golgotha. That's that place where we learn to die. That we have been crucified with Christ. When I think about it, I think the big key. The big issue for people following Christ is this. in we look at the life of Christ compared to all those other lives. One thing is head and shoulders above, beyond, way out in front. And that, quite simply, is the transformation of lives and literally the entire transformation of the ancient world. To the point that all the calendars are changed. And, and everything turned their eyes on this man who never left his, his country which is small, <laughs> tiny. Yet everything hinges on that. And, and what is it that brings this transformative power? What brings this transformative power into people's lives? It is exactly what he's most well known for. That is his death, burial, and resurrection. So how is it that we would come to understand that in the right way how do we how do we see it how did they pass it down from generation to generation from the beginning how did they show this is the story of christ and this is what it means to have a, a sacrificial love and a, and a sacrificial uh substitute sacrifice for our sins how they do it lord's supper that thing we do once a month. That's sitting up front waiting for its time today. And it's what Jesus is talking about in the scriptures today. That we might understand, that we can know, that we can can, can grasp the concept of what He wants us so that we can experience what it is to have our lives transformed. So that we can see that still two thousand years later. Jesus changing lives. In Mark 14, verse 22, it says, And as they were eating, what meal? Passover, right? We read it in verse 12. They're preparing for the Passover. They're preparing for the Passover. So as they were eating, Scripture says, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, when which he uh, or when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is uh, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. And assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They're on their way to Gatchmone, to Gethsemane. But when we look at this section what I want you to grasp and remember we've talked about this over and over again right scripture becomes so familiar we're pretty sure we've we've wrung it out for everything it has to tell us and so we're in a hurry to get someplace else and I just want to spend a little time wringing it out cuz I think there's I think there's more I think there's more to this that we want to comprehend so as we look at it I want us to look at the importance of his death and the way we see the importance of his death is what's going on that's happening in context around them that maybe we don't understand or we don't see. So they're sitting down at Passover, and they're having a meal that is commemorated every single year in all of Israel. All of Israel gets together and celebrates this meal every single year. It was commanded every male that was able to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So this was a big deal. And what did it celebrate? It commemorates the fact that once upon a time, they as a people were enslaved in Egypt. Right? Pharaoh had them. He had their chains, their fetters. He had the people. They were, they were his there in that place. They were in misery. They're in bondage. They're crying out for deliverance. And God delivered them to freedom. That's Passover in a nutshell. God delivering them out of bondage into freedom. And so they would celebrate. Now when they'd celebrate, they'd have a meal. And the meal was made up of primarily three parts. The bread. And when the bread would be broken, they would read scripture about the bread. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 3, this is what God had commanded. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you will eat unleavened bread. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. So what was the bread called? The bread of our affliction. The bread of our affliction. That was the first part. The second part was the cups. There's four cups in Passover. Those four cups go with four blessings. And every time you would come to a cup, the, the one who's running the meal, who's running, is going to stand up and give a blessing. They're going to give a blessing as you work your way through the meal. The four blessings are this, the four promises of God to the people. I will bring you out. I will rid you of your bondage. I will pay your redemption price. And I will take you away and make you my people. You will be mine. After the fourth cup, they would sing a Hallel Psalm, and the meal was over, and they would go their way. Did you see what happened at the end of the meal? What's it say? After, at the end of the meal, what they do? They sang a hymn, and they all got up and left. So we're looking at a traditional Passover, except there's something weird that happens, because at the traditional time when Jesus would stand up and talk about the bread of affliction for the people when they were in Egypt, He does something different. He does something different. He does something radical at that moment. So we have the meal that's taken place. We have the concept of Passover. And then we have Jesus' explanation, what Jesus lays out. So Jesus begins, this story begins with the third cup. Right? We know the last cup was when they sang the psalm. They sang the hymn. So the third cup, you remember what I told you the third cup was? It's a cup of redemption. When I will pay your redemption price. God's promise to His people. So at the third cup, Jesus stands up in that moment and He begins to explain the symbolism. Now normally the guy doing the meal would stand up and say, this is the bread of our affliction, this represents our time in bondage to Pharaoh, this represents uh, all, the, all these things that we went through and the different plagues and you work your way uh, through that entire meal and the Passover meal. But Jesus stands up and he begins to give new symbolism. He talks about something different. He lifts up the bread and he says, what about this bread? Not this is the bread of our affliction. What's he say? This bread is my body. So he holds up the bread and he says, this is my affliction. Because ain't nobody else going to be with him. This is my affliction. It's not ours. This is my suffering. I'm going to lead the ultimate exodus. I'm going to provide the ultimate deliverance from bondage. So he holds up that cup. He holds up the cup after the bread. He says, this is my blood. Of what? Of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant. You know, whenever... A covenant or promise was made. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. But whenever that was made, it was always done with blood. You guys remember in the old days when we, or maybe in the new days, when we say about the old days, we say, you know, once upon a time, all you had to do was give your word and it would happen. Well, that's never how it was in the ancient world, just so you know. In the ancient world, every promise, every covenant was blood. That means when you, if you were buying a house in the ancient world or property, and you had a a contract written up between two parties, they would take an animal and they would kill it and they would cut it in half. And they would come and stand in the middle of the two halves. And they would look at one another and they say, This is the blood of our covenant. If we break this, we die. That's how... Sincere they were over their covenants, over the promises that they made. It was saying, man, this is very important. Now let's back up. Remember Passover? Passover, what happens? God delivers the children of Israel out of bondage, and He takes them to a mountain. The mountain's called Mount Sinai, you remember? And at Mount Sinai, God introduces His people not only to Him, but to His requirements for them. And he speaks from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. That's what the Bible tells He speaks from Mount Sinai, gives the Ten Commandments. And through that whole series of events, we got the golden calf issue, Moses breaking the tablets, going back up, getting more, plans for the tabernacle. All of that stuff gets a name. See, when God lays out, here's my requirement, this is what I expect from you. Remember I told you, whenever you had a promise, what do you have? Blood. So what happens? They kill an animal. They take the blood. They sprinkle the blood on the people. They sprinkle the blood on the people. And the people make a promise to God. God saying, this is my requirement. They sprinkle blood on the people. And the people say, we will keep your promise. We'll do it. And if we don't do it, then we're going to die. That's the promise they make. All the way through Scripture, when we look at these covenants and promises made through Scripture, I just want you to to recognize, it is always the lesser who makes the promise to the superior. The lesser to the greater. The poorer to the richer. the, The guy in low standing to the guy in high standing. That's how it was always done. So we have this covenant, this old covenant is established right and the people do what they they are able to keep it right they all keep the co- the covenant and everything's good and nobody ever dies is that right so they break the covenant and we have all kind of chaos going on throughout the old testament right people dying crazy things happening which ultimately the fulfillment of a promise they made before god when they said we'll do it this way but listen to what God gave one of the prophets. The people are struggling, and they're struggling, they're trying to work their way through, and God gives a, a promise to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31, we are for the first time in the Old Testament introduced to the concept that there's a new covenant coming. The Old Covenant goes by another name these days when we open our Bible. You know what the other name of the Old Covenant is? The Old Testament. So you got an idea what the New Covenant is? Look how smart you guys are getting. Look at it. Look at it. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. So you see God's promise to the people. Look, I'm not going to do this like we did before because you guys can't keep it. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do it in a different way. This covenant which they broke. He says, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So though I love them, though I was with them, though I've done all these things, they're not able so the scripture goes on. But this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No more will every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest of them. Says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will Remember no more. So we get the promise of the New Covenant. we got the promise of the New Covenant in the Old Testament. Jeremiah finishes. We have all this bondage happening. The country's wiped out. The, the, the temple's destroyed. Then later on, it's built back up. Slowly, Israel comes back to be. Rome's over them, right? Running them, telling them what to do. They're constantly looking for the fulfillment of God's promise because God said He's going to do a new covenant. He's going to do a new thing. And so they're waiting 400 years. No prophet on the scene. No word from God. Nothing's happening. And then, if you were a a priest in the temple, and you're wondering whether or not God's going to do something in your lifetime, and all of a sudden, ten lepers come in and say, there's this guy out in the wilderness, he cleansed us. You don't think that would be a, huh? I've been kind of bored for the last 400 years. I haven't been doing anything. Ten lepers one day. A blind man born blind. Same thing. People being healed or dead. Being raised to life. Don't you think you'd be saying something is going on? Something's happening. God's moving. God's doing something. So Jesus in this meal. When he lifts the cup. And he says this cup. Is my blood. For the new covenant got to hear what he's saying you got to hear my blood for this covenant my blood not a lamb not somebody else not something else it's god saying this is my blood this is mine so we have the bread his affliction his body we have the the cup, his blood for the new covenant. Every covenant's got to be ushered in with blood. Hmm. And we got a lamb. Right? Three parts of the meal. Well, what does this, how does this express the meaning of his death? How does it express it? So I want you to see the picture of Passover again. What's the point of Passover? God is saying at the end of the plagues, You guys know that there were plagues and some of them affected only the Egyptians and some of them affected both. But the last plague, nobody could hide from. The last plague is like God saying, here is a preview of coming events. This is what judgment looks like. Here's what judgment looks like. I'm going to bring down divine justice for one night. One night I'm going to pour out my justice. A preview I'm going to scroll forward. It doesn't matter who you are, what race, how much money you have, where you live. It doesn't matter how hard you tried, how clean you've been living, how good you've been doing. Everybody is subject to justice. Everybody is in danger. Nobody is going to survive. The only way to get through, the only way is to kill a lamb. Eat it that night. Put the blood of the lamb on your doorposts. It has nothing to do with your pedigree, has nothing to do with your life, has nothing to do with your performance, has nothing to do with your morality. None of those things are your hope. All of your hope is in a substitute sacrifice. That that little lamb, that furry little quadruped, that there's something special about that blood. So your hope was in a substitute sacrifice. In every single home in Egypt, there was either a dead child or a dead lamb. That's it. Everybody was the same. Everybody was the same on that night. The only way to salvation was faith in a substitute sacrifice. So what was it about a lamb? What was so important about a lamb that would cause God to pass over on that judgment day? To cause him to pass over the the sins and the failure of his people? There's three parts to that Passover meal, right? Three parts. Bread, cup, lamb. Look at the story again. What's missing? You can look in all four Gospels. Everywhere you go, there is no lamb on the table. Why? Because the lamb is at the table. There's no lamb on the table because the lamb is at the table. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming into his ministry, what did he say? He said, Behold, the what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Don't you see, every lamb from the beginning of time until the time of Christ was like running things on a charge card. Sooner or later it had to be paid for. The charge card, that was the lamb. The lamb died, God passed over. The lamb died, God passed over. All the way to his son. All of those sins. All of the sin past, present, and future is being charged to the account of the one lamb. For the scripture tells us it is impossible for the lamb, for the blood of lambs and of goats, and bulls and heifers to purge the sin of men. There was only one sacrifice that would be accepted. One substitute sacrifice. One. And here Jesus is at this meal describing it. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb. What did Isaiah say? Isaiah 53 verse 7. Speaking of the suffering servant. says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent... So he opened not his mouth. Jesus is saying, I'm the suffering servant. I'm the lamb. This is the bread of my affliction. This is a cup of my blood. The sacrifice has come. The thing that people have been looking for ever since Jeremiah made the promise was happening. Was happening that day. There is a substitutionary, sacrificial love without which no one can be saved. Nobody. A lot of times people struggle with the idea of a substitute sacrifice. They say that's, that's immoral. It's wrong that somebody else should have to pay the price. There should not be a substitute sacrifice. You should pay for your own. Well, it's just one little problem. All love... All real love is a substitute sacrifice. Just think about it. You ever known that person when you were going to school that just wasn't in the hip crowd, you know, they weren't part of the popular crew, Uh, maybe a a young woman or a young man. And maybe it was on your heart to try to reach out to them and help them come along. So you go and you reach out to them and you try to come alongside them. But what's the first thing your friends start to ask you? What are you doing hanging out with them? Why? Because a little bit of their geekiness is getting on you. Because it's impossible to try to love somebody without that love... Pulling you down. Costing you something. If you have a love that doesn't cost you anything, you should celebrate because there's probably two of them in the world and you got one of them. But for everybody else, love costs something. Love costs something. There's a substitute. It, it takes something out of you to love somebody else. Think about those people who who are needy. And when, they, when you see them coming, you're thinking, oh, it's, here, here they come, there's going to be a problem, there's going to be a need. And what, why do you feel that way? Because being in their presence as they share about what their needs are, what their problems are, what their issues are, does what? It drains you. And at some point we look at them and we say, I don't want to be drained no more, I don't want to be drained. Aren't you thankful God doesn't say that to you? That God is willing to be drained. In a National Geographic, there was a, a fire. They carried this story. It was in the article on this fire. That the rangers were going through the woods to see. They're looking around. They want to see what damage has been done. So as they're walking through the woods, they come up along this one tree. And sitting down underneath this tree is this just petrified bird. They're just sitting there. Just like it was, you know, what, what's a Pompeii? Like it was on Pompeii, just ashen cooked bird. It was a little haunting. So the 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 rangers, as they walked by, nudged it with a stick, knocked it over. Three chicks came out from underneath. In the gospel, it tells us. In Luke thirteen thirty four, as Jesus was walking into Jerusalem prior to this meal, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, Jesus, like that bird, will give shelter to whoever comes beneath his wings. Shelter from what? Shelter from the wrath of God. From the judgment of God. The wrath of God is poured out on Him. He's destroyed by it. You are preserved. How? By your faith in the substitute sacrifice. Not because you're good, strong, better than everyone else. Simply because you believe You believe because Jesus' death transforms us. Transforms us. Look, in Mark 14, 25, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, I just want you to think about what Jesus is doing. Okay, Passover meal. He stood up. He's introduced them to a new Passover, a new supper. Not like the old Passover. Now, instead of being delivered from Egypt, they're going to be delivered from their sin. And as he does it, listen to what he says. I'm not going to drink of this fruit of this vine until I get it done. Who's doing the work? Do you hear what he's saying? He's taking his blood and saying, this is my blood. This is a sprinkling of my blood. Because back when the sprinkling was on the people, you couldn't do it. You couldn't make it. You had to charge your sins on a credit card. You had to charge your sins to a yet future sacrifice. The time for that sacrifice is now. I'm here. And I'm going to get it done. I'm not going to get it half done, a little done. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it finished. I'm going to accomplish all the things that I'm intended to do. You remember I told you that when we look at covenants and promises, it was always the lesser doing it for the greater, right? The, the, except for one kind of weird one. Genesis chapter 15. Abraham's getting a lot of promises from God. Promises of a child, promises of blessing. So Abraham says to God, how do I know you're going to do this? How do I know? So God says to Abraham, let's cut covenant. Remember I told you the contract? He says, let's cut covenant. In Genesis 15, verse 8, it says, Then he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram. A turtle dove, a young pigeon. He brought all these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle, and he placed one on either opposite sides of the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. When the vultures came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So you got this picture. Abram says to God, "How do I know you're going to do it?" God says, "It's covenant." So he cuts these animals in half and he lays them out. What's the rule? You go. You walk through in the middle. You swear you're going to keep your promise. You sign the contract. That's how you cut covenant. So Abraham's waiting for this to happen. And he's running around shooing the, the vultures away. Because the vultures want to come eat. So he's shooing them away. And he gets himself wore out. And the Bible says he falls asleep. And he has a vision. And in his vision a torch. How is it that God presented himself to the children of Israel in Egypt when he took them across the desert? Pillar of fire? A torch floats right through the middle of all the covenant. Stops in the middle. And God speaks to Abraham. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you even if I have to die to do it. That's what God's saying. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do it. You don't got to do nothing. I'm going to do it. Even if it kills me. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you one time. I'm going to bless you even if it kills me. A covenant is a relationship. But it's a relationship based on blood this is my body this is my blood I am the lamb I'm cutting covenant with you I'm doing it me and I'm not even gonna basically I'm not gonna eat or drink until I get it done I'm gonna get it done me I'm gonna get it done I'm gonna get you Home. That's what God is promising. I'm going to get you home. How do I know it's not about my level of commitment? How do I know it's not about the amount of faith I have? How do I know it's not about me? Did you read the rest of the section? What happens when they leave Passover? What is it that Jesus says? It's so beautiful. Look at it. It says, And when they sung the hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus said... All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. How many are going to make it? How many are not going to deny? How many are not going to run? They're all going to run. They're all going to run. They're all going to fail. How many of us are going to mess up? How many of us are going to stumble? How many of us are going to fail? But look what Jesus says next. After I have been raised, I will go to Galilee. I will go before you to Galilee. I, meet you in Galilee. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to call you together with me. You're all going to fail. You're all going to fall. But I'm going to get it done. It's going to be my blood sprinkled on me. Based on my ability, on God, on Him, on Jesus' ability. That's what it hinges on, not on us. So then, what is our part? Look, it's not the quantity or the quality of your faith that matters, it's the object. If you were falling off a cliff, and there's... You guys ever seen them movies where there's a little weed sticking out the side of the cliff? Right? And if you're falling by, you see that little weed sticking out the side of the cliff. Do you really think you're going to go, Well, I don't know if that'll hold me. <laughs> Trust me, if I'm falling, I'm going to grab it. How come I'm going to grab it? That's it. That's all I got. That weed holds me or I plummet to the bottom. Well, for us that branch that weed that branch coming out of the side, that's Jesus. And the object of our faith is able. You and I we're not. He is. So he does it. We just grab a hold. There's no glory in that for you and me. We just do our part. What's our part? I need you. I need to get under your wings. The fire's coming. There's no glory in that. How did you save yourself? I hid under mom. She got all burned, but I'm okay. Is there glory in that? Does that glorify me? No. Who's it glorify? Mom. If I hide under the wings of Jesus Christ, does that glorify me? Who's it glorify? Jesus Christ! If I grab a hold of that branch and it saves me, does that glorify me? Oh, wow! You're so amazing. Or does it glorify the branch that held me? So, we want to see that this is the work that He's doing. Look at Peter. Peter can't believe it. This is what we do sometimes. Oh, come on! I'm not like all those other losers. I'm not going to fail. I mean, I can do it. I can. I can be good. I won't. I won't curse all week. I'll I'll have a good attitude toward everybody who comes and talks to me. All these other losers, they may blow it, but I'm not going to blow it. Why does Jesus tell us his story? We all blow it. You all blow it. So Peter stands there and says, not me, Lord. No, 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 I can do it. I can do it in my own strength, in my own power. Even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today even tonight. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. You're going to deny me tonight. You're going to blow it tonight. But he spoke more vehemently. Oh, no, 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 no. And all the other disciples do the same thing. Oh, no, 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 no. And you and me, we do the same stuff. I'm not going to mess up. I can do it. I can be holier. I can be more righteous. Now I'm not saying that we don't aim for holiness and we don't aim for righteousness, but your hope is not in your ability to be right or holy enough. Your hope is in Christ. And if we keep our hope in Christ and our focus on Christ, all that other stuff, righteousness, holiness, that just happens. Because that's who you're hanging out with. That's what you're focused on. That's what you're looking at. That's the work that Jesus wants to accomplish in us. We depend on his commitment to us, not the other way around. We depend on his commitment to us. Don't you see how that changes my attitude? That I go through my day and think, oh, I don't know if I have enough commitment this week. I don't know if I have enough commitment. What is it that God calls me to? What kind of life does he call me to? He calls me to a life living in repentance and faith. What does that mean? Repentance of the times I blow it. God, forgive me. Not trying to pretend I'm better than somebody else, but just being real. God, I need you every day to forgive me, to move and work in my life. I need you speaking into my life. That's what I need from God. His forgiveness every day. And I need to live in faith in His substitute sacrifice that His commitment is big enough for me. That's what God's Word is laying out for us. That's That's why He tells us this way. So that we can know. He says you're all going to fail. But I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to gather you together with me. And we head down to Galilee. How much clearer could he say it? Your salvation depends not on your commitment to me. But on my commitment to you. Your salvation does not depend on the quality or quantity of your faith. But the object of your faith. It depends completely on the commitment of Jesus Christ. And His commitment is perfect. But think about the Passover meal. The lamb is dead, but what was the people's part? What did they have to do? They had to eat it. And they had to apply the blood. They had to eat it and apply the blood. The lamb being dead, that that was part of it. The other part is you have to appropriate You had to take what was given, what was offered. Think of the little hen sitting there in the fire, raging fires coming, and the hen says, come on, come on, under the wings, come on. You can stand out there and say, I got this. I can handle this on my own. Well, in which case, you're going to get burned. So what do I have to do? I got to take what's offered. What's offered the branch, Jesus Christ reaching out to me. I got to grab a hold. I got to go under the wings. I got to accept that sacrifice that He's laying out for me. I got to accept it. Do we believe that? Do we understand that the Lord's Supper is intended to drive us down deeper and deeper into our heart? The idea of a substitute sacrifice of what God has done for us. That the real food you need is His undying, unconditional commitment to you. His dying commitment to you. His living commitment to you. That's the food you need. That's why in John 6, Jesus said, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. Because I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to lay out the sacrifice. But you've got to eat it. I'm going to have all the commitment. You've got to take it. You've got to lay hold of it. That's the message that Jesus is laying out as we look, as we see the, the, the majesty of the Passover being changed to the Lord's Supper. So that every time we see the body and the blood, we would remember His commitment to us. I will get you home. That's what Jesus is doing. That's the point. That's the purpose. When we gather together and receive the Lord's Supper, that's what he's saying. It's a remembrance. We're remembering his commitment to us that he made the covenant, that he spilled the blood, that he provided the body, that he said, I'm not going to rest I'm not going to eat this again. I'm not going to drink of this cup until all of us are together, until I get you home. And that's an amazing idea. So this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to receive the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, I just want you to kind of ground the concept into your mind. And something that helps me ground the concept into my mind is this video I want you to watch. Check it out.
2: are you as you weep on your knees with perfume and tears washing over my feet blessed are you beggar hopeless and blind calling for mercy when I'm passing by blessed are you shaking your head at two tiny fish and some bread Blessed are you as you tremble and wait For the first stone thrown at your sinful disgrace Tell me your story Show me your wounds, And I'll show you what love sees When love looks at you I'll show you what love sees When love sees you standing
1: This morning to receive the Lord's Supper that we've been talking about. So, as we uh, prepare for worship, I just invite the ushers to come on up to pass it out. As we do, just so you know, the only requirement to receive the Lord's Supper is that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There's no, uh, there's no other thing that needs to be done. He's the one who does it, who saves us, and so. In this act, we are saying, "Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm trusting your commitment to me." I just want to invite you to do that together with us. As it's passed out, I, I, I'd ask you just hold on to the bread and the cup, and we'll take it together. i yeah.